Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier with Doug Hay. And Doug, we're doing it on Skype today because you are busy because you're taking off to a trip. You want to tell the nice people about your trip you have planned? <laughs> sure. I uh, am headed out first thing tomorrow to California where I'm going to be on a little vacation with my wife and then we're going to head over to Mendocino, California for the Mendocino Coast 50K Hosted by our good friend at No Meat Athlete Radio, Sid Garza Hillman. Yeah, that's right. Nobody's heard from Sid Garza Hillman in a while, I bet, on No Meat Athlete Radio. Nobody's <laughs> really sick of him, I'm sure. I wonder if anyone even remembers who he is. It's been so while. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so that that's cool. I heard his race. He mentioned his race last summer when we did the episode with him. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like it filled up really quickly, right? Yeah, it sold out within, I think, a few weeks, maybe, which is awesome for a first-time race. And it's a fully vegan race, and it's going to be beautiful. It's along the coast and the redwoods. It's I don't, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be fun to spend a few days with him and his family and also to really go after that race. It's going to be good. Yeah, that, that is a beautiful area. Uh, are, you, are you going to the Stanford Inn where he's the nutritionist as any, as any part of this or just... We do. We're not going to stay there, but we are going there. We're going to check it out, eat. Uh, Katie's oh, going nice. to get a massage there, a massage there and uh, maybe take some yoga classes. So, yeah. Cool, very cool. Yeah, they have a very good restaurant. Raven's Restaurant, it's called. And they have, they have a book out, The Raven's Restaurant. Or I think it's called Dining at the Ravens. just came out. Dining at the on Ravens. On Ben Bella Press. And it's, uh, I mean, it's good. The, the restaurant is really, really good. Cool. Yeah, so anyway, speaking of Sid, I can't let this go without uh, plugging our meal plan product, Health Made Simple, which officially came out on Monday, even though you guys, podcast listeners, got a little bit of a sneak whatever sneak preview chance of getting sneak it before peek. then not that not that it really did anything for you to be in early but uh <laughs> you did you were the first to know about it so anyway that uh this episode will go live on wednesday which is april 20th 2016 and that means that if you're listening to it on wednesday you have less than 48 hours to get it at this really really good charter member price before that price doubles uh and it's a subscription thing so you have that price locked in forever as long as you're a member uh haven't really talked about the product, you know, here. We just, we had the interviews with Sid and I kind of just said the link. Uh, it's at nomeatathlete.com slash health. And it is Sid Garza Hillman's and my meal plan system. Uh, it's all about meal planning so that you know exactly what to eat. You know that the stuff you're eating has exactly what you need in it, but with a tremendous emphasis on simplicity and quickness so that there's not going to be any stress around this whole thing. Uh, that was that was that's really what makes this different. I mean, aside from some live coaching stuff that Sid and I will do as part of it, what makes it different from a typical meal plan program is that the emphasis is absolutely on making it as simple and fast as possible, so that you don't have to think about food and you can do the rest of the other cool stuff with your life that isn't food related uh, with that extra time and energy. So it's all at nomeatathlete.com/health. And Thursday, April twenty first, is the last day to get it at this really good deal. So check it out there. Yeah, I uh, you know I've been helping you set up the the product, the back, kind of the back end stuff, and it has been really inspiring. The the simplicity of these meal plans is is pretty cool, and uh, I you know I think people are really going to like it. Well, I certainly hope so because it has taken us a crap load of time to make. <laughs> we we started last summer. We said it was going to be out last summer. We thought like right after that podcast, and it has just turned into a monster project. So it's I have really high hopes for it, much higher than I ever did. Even I've just kind of seen the potential. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. So anyway, nomeatathlete.com slash health is where to find that. All right, Doug, let's get to what we're doing today. And we have been crazy busy with this launch, and we couldn't get anything together other than to answer some questions for this episode. Let's let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> be forthcoming up front. Uh, transparency <laughs> is good, I think. But these are good questions. We we pulled our 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 teammate Esther pulled together 10 of the most popular and best questions that came into the inbox since our last big Q&A episode. And I'm, I'm, these are going to be good ones. This, I think we're going to pull together a good episode. I, I actually do too. Esther, by the way, is the newest member of the No Meat Athlete team. Uh, she's helping us out with email and most of our customer service. And she picked some really nice questions here. Uh, she, the way we're doing emails nowadays, rather than answering emails, asking for advice 
you know, which is just a very difficult time consuming thing to do. And we just don't have time to do that anymore is what we're doing is picking the best of the best um, and answering them on the podcast so that people can still get their questions answered in a way that that helps a lot of people, not just one person. So I actually do think this is going to be our best Q&A episode yet, Doug, just because oh. the, the quality of the questions, they're really good ones this time. They are. They are. She She's better at picking them than I was, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's what it, that might be exactly right. Okay, so let's just jump in. We'll just go down the list as we have them here and uh, see where it takes us. I'm going to try to be fast on this one. I'm not going to – I think, we, I think we, we spend too long on our answers sometimes, so we're going to be a little faster this time. Leave some things unsaid, that, but oh. right, leave people hanging. Cliffhangers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's All right, do it. Here we go. This one's from Shelly, who says, My name is Shelly, and both my husband and I have been eating a vegan plant-based diet since September – I've been running for a while, uh, hoping to get pregnant and have a baby soon, and would love to find some good resources to help me through running and eating a plant-based diet, all while being pregnant. Any suggestions? Know you're incredibly busy with no athlete and a family of your own. Would be grateful. Thanks. Okay, let's do it. So, uh, pregnancy and running. So, I don't think there's any resource that's going to help you with both of those things at the same time. I suggest, <laughs> I think, I mean, you know, get, get the advice from two different places, uh, or more than that, and and then just combine them. So let's see. First of all, they're running. I mean, I don't know if there is a resource about how to do, to do. I mean, I, I don't know. What, what my wife Erin did was kind of just run until it just stopped feeling comfortable. And I think her body told her when it was time to stop. And that was when, a couple months into the pregnancy, she took like two weeks off from running for something and then tried to get back to it. And that was when her body said, no more of that. Um, the, the advice I have heard is to do what you've been doing. So don't all of a sudden start increasing your running by a lot or or drop it all together just because you've been pregnant, but to continue what you've been doing before you got pregnant until you are too uncomfortable to, to do that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I have I have heard of people and even seen women who, who – I, I saw a woman who ran – no, I guess she had just had a baby because she was breastfeeding – during the aid station stops fifty mile race, <laughs> wow! Um, yeah, this friend of mine from Maryland who who did that, and she was a really good runner too, and she she did a wonderful job doing those two things. Um, I think she ran almost to the end of her pregnancy, and I you hear people who do this who run a marathon when they're I don't know seven months pregnant or something. I I just don't understand why you, anyone would do that. I mean <laughs> I mean I understand wanting to be fit throughout your pregnancy and you know that that's wonderful i just don't really see, it almost seems selfish to me to to kind of do that and i don't mean to judge people because i don't know who you know what what situations people have why some people might just need to run uh maybe maybe they do for their for you know maybe maybe that's their habit if they don't do that they'll they'll spiral out of control um but it just seems to me like you could you could kind of find ways to stay in shape without running marathons when you're seven or eight months pregnant but who, who am i to say i haven't had to do it well, but I would suggest that Shelly just continues running the way she's been running. You know, maybe she can increase a little bit if she really wants to get into a little bit more, but not not try to train for a marathon or something if she hasn't. What if she's been running? What if she runs a marathon every two weeks, Doug? Should she keep doing that throughout the entire pregnancy? <laughs> no, probably not. Okay. Uh, and I and like I said, I, you know, you you want to you want to listen to your body, right? So if your body is telling you that your energy levels are way too low and it's just uncomfortable and it hurts, then don't do it. But okay. she hasn't because she says that she's been running pretty low mileage. So there I think she's go. fine. Good. Okay. So um, that's that. I'm sure if you looked around, you could find someone who's written an ebook or something about it um, and uh, get better advice than we have. Actually, you know what? Uh, Jason Fitzgerald just wrote a post about it. Did he? Okay. There you go. Strengthrunning.com. One of our good friends, Jason Fitzgerald. Um, I haven't read it, though. That's okay. He's good. We can trust him. Yeah. Uh, and his wife is a runner and has had, I, th- I think, now two kids and probably done a good job with it. So, okay, let's uh, move on to the vegan part of it. Also, something that being men we don't have personal experience with, um, my wife, what we were vegan for our second baby and for the pregnancy for that. And that, that pregnancy turned out to, I guess it was, you know, maybe more difficult in terms of like some, some of the morning sickness and stuff, which I think sometimes happens with a second child. But as far as the delivery and all that, Aaron was able to do that naturally and she i think being vegan as opposed to what we were vegetarian before but we were new vegetarians and we were very very new to this whole like just whole foods health natural sort of stuff that we're into now um 
So I think the whole mindset was just one of natural pregnancy, natural birth. So uh, it all that all went really well, and and I think you know she did an amazing job. I think even she was surprised with with I think she was prepared for something even more difficult than it was. Uh, so that that was went all very well. As far as tips for doing it, uh, I wouldn't want to try to give any sort of actual nutrition advice about that. There are books written on it. There's one is called the Vegan Pregnancy Survival Guide. Um, by a woman named Sayward. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's R-E-B-H-A-L. So like Rebel or Rebhal. I don't know. But anyway, she uh, is a friend of Matt Resignos, who is the co-author of uh, the No Meat Athlete book and himself a vegan registered dietitian. He introduced me to Sayward at this event where Matt and I were speaking for the book tour. And uh, she seemed like a very nice woman. That's that's kind of all I know, but she has a book on the topic. And so there's one place to start. Vegan Pregnancy Sur- Survival Guide. Um... And I think we own the Everything Vegan Pregnancy book or something like that. Or maybe, yeah, I believe that's what it is. Um, but I don't know that Aaron used it all that much. So that's what I got. Doug, you ever been pregnant? Never been pregnant and don't have any tips. <laughs> okay. All right, then let's move on. Steven's question says, thoughts on ketogenic diet? So Steven, not a man of, of many words. Uh, but I like that. Brief. <laughs> so ketogenic well, diet. What yeah, what is it to, to kick us off? You know, it is something that I I think I'm irresponsibly averse to. When I hear about it, I start thinking, okay, that's paleo stuff. I'm just not even into that, mm. uh, which isn't fair, right? I, I should I should be more uh, open-minded and unbiased than that. Uh, I have listened to a few things about it, read a few little things about it. It's a diet that uh, the idea is to increase the ketones in your body, and that's going to... I think has clear links to better endurance. Uh, I listened to an episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast, or Tim Ferriss show, I guess it's called, with Dr. Peter Atia, I think, A-T-T-I-A. It's episode 50 of the Tim Ferriss show. Really interesting episode, by the way, about this guy. And a lot of the talking, the uh, the, the conversation was about the trade-off between, not, not with ketogenic diet particularly, but just in general, that there's kind of a trade-off between longevity so eating and and living your life in a way that's designed to prolong that life and eating living doing things in a way that is designed to maximize performance in anything any whether it's a fitness thing or whether it's something else um i guess particularly fitness though that 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 there's a trade-off there right so the, the the tricks for longevity typically not really tricks but are things like caloric reduction um not you wouldn't think intense exercise is really a part of that i mean certainly some some moderate stuff up up to a certain point certainly not you know crazy 100 mile ultra marathon training and that that's the kind of stuff this guy's talking about i think ironmans and ultras and in in the in this context i guess come with this context comes up the topic of ketogenic diet and he talks a lot about it and why some of the really interesting things he's done with it and some of the disgusting things he managed to eat or like that would that would increase the ketone production um so you know that that's kind of and then a lot of it's fats and stuff and, and the maffetone stuff i think it sort of tends in that direction like i said i really do not know a whole lot about this um i don't know to me the one of the reasons i've never really gotten into it or really been interested in in looking at it or trying it is just that it it seems to me like something that's totally not a good idea for long-term health. You know, like like I said, there's that trade-off, and this seems like it's so far in the opposite direction. Uh, when when every vegan doctor is telling us that, you know, lower fat is is kind of the way to go. Not as you don't have to be extreme low. I mean, I know I think Dr. Campbell recommends 10% fat, or maybe maybe yeah, maybe 10%. Uh, very very low. Some Furman is a little bit higher. I think he's more up in the 20% range. Uh, this being of total calories. Um, so I don't, you know, just everyone else is is all the other vegan docs at least are, are kind of in between there. So to get into any kind of range that's well beyond that to me seems like not a great idea for for long term health. So that's why I've kind of stayed away from it. Uh, by no means is that to say that it wouldn't work for performance. I don't have any experience with it, but it seems that a lot of people do experience good performance with it. So uh, if that's your goal and if you value that more than the other stuff, then you know go for it. And I, I would imagine there's a way to do it in a vegan way. Certainly not a whole food way. I mean, I think with that amount of fat you're consuming. You can't right. do it with Whole Foods, uh, but that's that's kind of what I know about it. How about you, Doug? Being an ultra, yeah. Man. I mean, I don't have too much more to add, except I mean, I think that some people do have a lot of success with it 
in the ultra marathon world and like Ironman world and that kind of thing. And that's where, that's where it's primarily used, right? I mean, it's not, you don't really right. hear about it with 10 K runners or anything like that. No, no, no. Um, so, you know, so I think that if, if you did want it just for performance, you could give it a shot. I mean, I don't think that trying it for a few months or I guess it takes a few months just to even kind of get it to kick in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying it for six months or a year is really going to do any damage for you. But, but it's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I uh, would recommend to anybody, really. I did. There was a good, interesting episode on the Ritual podcast about it uh, a, a while ago. I think it was Ben Greenfield was the the guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, if if it's something you want to learn more about, they go into more detail than than we're going to go into here. Yeah, there you uh, go. So that was good. So again, I think potentially really useful for performance, like a great hack maybe for for endurance performance stuff. Uh, yeah. Not to say it will work for everyone, but you know the, those hacks they often come at a cost, and and to me that just seems too great or too risky to to really make it worthwhile. But uh, like we said, learn it from learn more from elsewhere. Moving All on, right. moving on. Sierra asks us, "How do you feel about the chronometer?" The chronometer. Okay. Had I not just talked to Leo about a couple of days ago, I would think the chronometer was a Ray Cronice invention or something for measuring. I don't know, coldness in your body or something. That's his thing. <laughs> um, it, however, though, this is quite coincidental and a wonderful opportunity for me to promote Health Made Simple. Uh, ah. Leo Babalta, my friend, who we mentioned, have mentioned countless times on this podcast, uh, author of Zen Habits, and kind of the guy who has been the major influence on me when it comes to how do you how do you create change and not just like flip a switch in your head, but how do you actually create change uh, if, intelligently? So he's that guy. Um, he actually asked me to do something for his sea change program, a little interview with him on, I guess it was this past Tuesday. And that got me thinking this whole meal plan program we've done, we originally were going to call it minimalist meal plan until Doug, you and a couple other people suggested that (laughs) if we did that, it would kind of make people think we meant the amount of work we put into this was minimal. And we just (laughs) made a really minimal plan. Uh, that's not, that wasn't the intention. The intention was meal planning with sort of a minimalist take on it. So rather than have all this fancy food and all these different ingredients and, you know, this and that, it's very, very streamlined. And that's what it really is. But we decided not to call it that. But Leo, of course, is a vegan and he's a minimalist. Like he he is a true minimalist, someone who used to, I, I think he had a list of his hundred things he owned, which inspired me a long time ago to try to do that. Never actually did. Um, but I got, I probably got to down 120 or something, uh, which has since climbed up again. But anyway, uh, I said he's a minimalist, he's a vegan, he'd make a wonderful interview for a bonus for this product, and uh, he was very kind to do such a thing, so that is uh, is a bonus that comes with it. But anyway, during that interview, he mentioned this chronometer, and he says he uses it, I think he called it chronometer, Um, it is at, let me find the the website, I think it's just chronometer.com, C-R-O-N-O, yeah, C-R-O-N-O meter.com. And it's it seems like it's just kind of a calorie tracking advice, calorie and um, you know all different macronutrients. I'm sure there are all this other stuff. So you put your food in. I think it basically is going to tell you how much you're eating, and of each macronutrient, probably a bunch of micronutrients as well. And I would imagine it does more than this, but I don't know for sure. I haven't used it myself. So he was really into this, and he said this is a really great app. He loves it. But what he's doing right now is a is a she's trying to gain weight, like I've been trying to do actually. Um, on gain muscle, not just weight. And so when he mentioned this, it struck me as a very non-minimalist thing to be using, right? I mean, logging your food and getting all these numbers, I would think he would be much more of the mindset of just, you know, eat whole foods and just a few of them and, you know, not too much, you know. But he likes this thing. So my thoughts on it, just because, just about this kind of thing in general, I can't speak specifically to this other than knowing that he liked it. Uh, I think for most people, unless unless you've got a... I don't know, if you're on some sort of mission, like I want to gain this much weight or I want to lose this much weight and you've kind of already got everything handled and you're good at eating well and you're healthy and you like how it's going, but now you want to make some change for some short amount of time, I think it can be really useful for that. Like for me in trying to gain weight, if I just say I'm going to try to eat more, that's not very effective. But if I say here's how many more calories I need to eat each day because you calculate your metabolic rate, and then multiply it by this Harris-Benedict equation, with which accounts for your activity. So you can figure out how many calories you need to eat per day to gain or lose at a certain rate. And 
in that case, you know, it could be useful then to figure out how, to, how am I going to get these calories? How am I going to build that into my diet uh, in a way that, that isn't haphazard and I can count on every day? Could be useful for that. But I think if you're someone who is just kind of constantly struggling, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just very, very averse to this kind of stuff. I don't believe this is the way to get healthy for the first time. Uh, and for, for some people, certainly it could work. For some people whose minds go that way, fine. But I think you can get there a much, much better way. Really, I mean, that's, that's the way that we put forth in this Health Made Simple program. It's, it's, we don't have any numbers in there. It's not at all about numbers. Uh, the complete opposite approach to, say, logging your food. So that that's what I know about it. I think this kind of stuff has targeted use. I don't think uh, I don't think nearly as many people who use this kind of stuff uh, really should be. I think I think there's so much more to be had just from just from a simpler approach to everything. Because uh, I really think this this creates a lot of stress and energy around food, and I don't think that's typically a good thing. Doug, chronometer, no comment. Thumbs down. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Never heard of it until today. So Doug gives it a thumbs down and says you should buy Health Made Simple instead. Yeah, absolutely. Thumbs up, Health Made Simple. <laughs> health, right. Thumbs down, chronometer. Okay. Chronometer, Good. whatever it is. All right. Next one from Kira says, hey, Matt and Doug, I've been listening to your podcast for almost a year now. Thank you, Kira. Oh, that thank is you. wonderful. That, that's a long time. That might be a world record. You may be the <laughs> longest listener we have. Uh, uh, it's been some great motivation for me to keep running. However, the past few years, I've been experiencing on and off knee problems, just general pain. Um, wondering about just experience and suggestions with this. Let's see. Yeah, just would like to do long distance runs beyond 20, 25 miles a week, but can't because she's afraid of hurting her knees. So uh, do we have anything Does she need? She said, is running just not going to work out for me? Do I need a slower training program? Do you have any experience with KT tape or things of that sort? I know you're both really busy. Why do people think that we're so busy, Doug? Because we always talk about it. <laughs> we always say we're just we so always busy. complain. We're like, ah, <laughs> so busy. Yeah. All right. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have any advice for? Her? Uh, why don't you start, Doug? I have a few things to say, but I, I talked a lot for the last one. So you, let's hear what, what the running, the award-winning running coach has to say. Hey, you are award-winning now. We have a podcast award. Well, oh, we got nominated yes. for an award. Oh. Um, award so I, you know, we're twenty-five minutes into this, and. Uh, and we're only on question number four, so I think we should speed it up a little yeah, bit. I do. Uh, I would say that running is probably not out of the cards for her. She can she can get into running if that's really what she wants to do. So I would focus on trying to find out what's causing the pro- the pain, whether it's running form, whether it's uh, ramping up her mileage too quickly. Uh, just try to try to find the root of the problem. Maybe she just needs new shoes. Um, and when, once you are able to kind of identify that problem. I would start by building a lot of strength around the knee. So in, by not running, doing some exercises and drills and things like that that are, that are building strength around the knee and then the supporting muscles around the knee. And then go really slowly as she's building up her mileage. So instead of jumping, trying to jump in at 20 miles per week, just really slowly build up to that and, and, um, and then kind of continue to build from there. But um, take it slow, build strength around the knee, and and try to identify the problem. Uh, as far as the KT tape goes, I'm definitely not a believer in KT tape. Um, and it's popular, so somebody must be having success with it. But it just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and I can't can't really see how it is helping people long term. Yeah, I believe uh, Jason Fitzgerald, who we mentioned a few minutes ago, I think he saw some research that basically demonstrated that KT tape was a placebo effect. That it did have a positive effect, but that it was a placebo effect. Uh, which is okay. If that helps you, then uh, then then go for it. Uh, I tried it for my shoulder. Who knows if it helped or not? I I have no idea. Um, but the other my my take on Kira's question is similar to yours, of course, Doug. I I think definitely you shouldn't just say I'm not meant to be a runner because I think that people do the same thing with vegan. They go vegan and then like just you know experience something that's not not working after a couple months and then like well my body's not meant to do that. Uh, I don't think that's typically. With anything, you're just not meant to do something. I mean, if you're committed to something, and it sounds, Kira, like you are, if you listen to this all the time and, you know, care enough to ask a question, uh, that you can find a way to make stuff work. Uh, could be as simple as just slowing down, as you suggested yourself. Do I need a slower training program? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, I don't know what kind of training program you're on, or if you mean slower in terms of how fast is it increasing mileage or how fast are you actually running, but either of those things could help you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of slow running, running at a really, really slow conversational pace for 
if you're getting injured, all your miles. You don't even need to do hard miles. Just do only easy miles for a long time and see what happens. Um, Doug mentioned shoes. I think that's a, a really you know possible thing because Kira's question said general knee pain, so it doesn't sound like it's some sort of IT band issue or something because that you generally think is more specific and you can identify when exactly it hurts, like what kind of activities hurt it. Um, just like general knee soreness, I found that once I started wearing hokas for long runs, which I don't do for all my long runs, but once I started doing that for some of them, I noticed a distinct difference in how my knees felt the next day after the long run. Uh, I used to have just kind of some general knee soreness after long runs, and that disappeared or disappears on days when I run long in hokas, uh, or, or I guess probably a similar maximal shoe would, would do a similar thing. Not to say that that's the answer, but you know maybe, maybe for you the answer is a more minimal shoe, but the point is that shoes can definitely affect Make a that. difference. Yeah, yeah, as can form, and, and sometimes the way the shoes work is that they do change your form. So... Uh, right. all, all are things that, so I would say just, you know, start exploring there and try different things, try any of those different things and see what happens and then try the next one and, and so on and so on. But I think it's, I think you should definitely not just assume you're not meant to be a runner because of that. So keep at it. Yeah. All right. Next one from Alexander training for his first 50 mile solo race, a little anxious, but confident, no idea how to navigate more focused on what I will be eating Navigate nutrition, we should say. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Navigate nutrition. I'm more focused on what I will be eating at the finish. I'm not sure what that means. Just like, <laughs> just can't wait to get that beer or whatever. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> can't wait to get that big old vegan pizza. <laughs> Which isn't going to help too that, much. Man. It's not going to help too much during your race, though, Alex. That's, that's going to be for later. Uh, yeah, so I got a story real quick. Just real quick. Okay. Real Matt, I promise. Well, let's let's finish this, this question. Then, oh. then you should. So the question is basically that. Uh, girlfriend is training for one as well and also needs help. He's been vegan 18 years. She's been vegan 10. Longer distances are newer, and they they want uh, they want to know what to do. Also loves the podcast and needs a shirt. Got a large, but lost a lot of weight. Congrats, Alex. And yeah. now comfortably at a medium. All right. Okay. So let's hear your story, Doug. <laughs> well, it's not really that good, but it is good. Okay. Last weekend, I was on. I did a long training run with a friend. We were out for almost twelve hours, mm. and we were coming up on this campsite in uh, like a campground in the middle of the run. And we've smelled somebody having a fire going, and and I, I looked at him and I was like, man, maybe maybe Katie's making his pancakes right now. Maybe she's like out there making his pancakes. And then that was all either of us could think about for the next several <laughs> hours how hungry and how wonderful pancakes could be. <laughs> of course, she was not there. It was some random guy <laughs> this campground. <laughs> but it was terrible. All we could think about was these pancakes. I've had similar happen. On long runs, for some reason, the end of a long run, not even that, but like the end of a three-hour run, I'll start thinking about one particular food, and, and I just can't stop thinking about that particular food. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. Um, so, all right. So how do you navigate nutrition during a 50 mile race? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Doug, you, I mean, you will be better suited to answer this than I will. I can, I can tell him how I have navigated it in the past. Um, I think th the ideal situation is that your stomach will handle sugar fine for the entire time. Mm -hmm. What happens though, in practice is that most people's stomach does not handle sugar very well after about uh, three hours of running, maybe not even that. Uh, and you just start, you get to the point, at least I do, and, and I know some others do, you get to the point where you just can't imagine drinking more sports drink or eating another date or more energy gels. You just don't want sugar. You want other stuff. So if you're trying to win the race, I mean, which doesn't sound like you are, but if that if that's what someone's trying to do, then you, know, you, you should practice your nutrition and hopefully get to the point where you can keep doing that. Unless you're doing a ketogenic thing, like we mentioned, where your approach is entirely not about sugar. Um... But what, and we talked about this with, with Brian Powell, author of Relentless Forward Progress a long time ago, Doug, in one of the early episodes of our podcast, where he, he pointed out that for someone who's just there to run the race and finish the race, a lot of it's not about winning, it's about not quitting. So if having your stomach and your body be happy because you've eaten a food that, that you know, isn't pure sugar, isn't even optimal in any way, maybe it's, maybe it's who knows, soup or a Boca burger or you know, who knows what, something that makes you happy and keeps you out on the course and more about a hundred mile, but I think for a 50 mile, this applies as well. If you can keep your head happy because your stomach is, is full and, and good, then the food that's going to do that is, is the one to eat. So I, my approach with a hundred and, and with some fifties has been start out with the optimal thing, do the sugar for as long as I can, 
once I get to the point where I just can't handle that anymore, I switch over to something that is what I want, which is typically something more like pitas, uh, like a white pita with, with almond butter on it or with hummus on it or like a corn tortilla with refried beans. These kind of foods I, I really like after I get sick of the sugar. Uh, one thing I will recommend, though, is for me in particular, uh, Heed's product, no, Hammer's product called Heed, uh, was the sports drink I used during my 100, and I had never really had it before except in the training, the last few weeks of training for that race, and I could drink that stuff all day without getting sick of it in the way that I got sick of Gatorade and kind of the more, just the more common convenience store type of sports drinks, uh, I think because they're they're based more on fructose and this was on something else. So you could try different sports drinks to find one that lets you keep drinking sugar longer. Um, so that that's what I've got. Doug, how about you? Yeah, similar stuff. So with the sports drinks, I just want to add that uh, what you're looking for is is a lot of calories within the sports drinks. So something like um, like Heed or Tailwind or something like that has about 150 calories per bottle. Yeah, but something like Noon or None um, has zero. So uh, you know when you're when you're looking at it for a sports drink, just make sure that it has a lot of calories. If that's how you're getting in the calories, you want to aim for about 200 to 250 calories per hour, which is uh, like a gel and a half or, uh, some, you know, a, a half a pack of gummies. Um, and then if you're, if you're drinking some tailwind or heat or something like that, then you're also getting in calories that way. Um, like you said, yeah, the sugars are ideal. The, the dates or gels, energy gels, um, that kind of stuff is the ideal situation, but a lot of people can't do that for, for an entire 50 mile race. Um, so you got to supplement with, with things that make you happy a lot of, I mean, most aid stations will have potato chips and uh, salt potatoes, uh, which are boiled potatoes, uh, and then pe- peanut butter and jelly and things like that. I always tend to grab I my the, for most races, the vast majority of my calories come from uh, come from energy gels and, and energy drink. Um, but I will almost always grab a few potato chips or a little piece of potato or something salty at every aid station just to kind of cut that that sweetness in my mouth and it just makes me able to eat the the sugars longer uh-huh good like it um boiled potatoes dipped in a little bit of salt are really really wonderful they don't taste like much except for the salt and mm-hmm. you don't have to chew them much very very easy thing to get down if they are available um i'm glad you mentioned a, a calorie range what i have the number i usually go or the numbers i go off of are 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour which is i heard from scott jurek um, which is very similar to what you said that that comes out to 180 to 240 calories per hour. Um, mm-hmm. so add in, you know, a little bit extra protein or fat or something and you're getting into the range you mentioned. Um, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, and, and also with a long race, particularly if it's hot out, you do need to worry about hyponatremia and hydration and, and that the balance of sodium and water, uh, which, which is a really, I think it's worth mentioning here, but not going into advice about it just because that could be potentially dangerous. So. Yeah. Uh, look that up. Make sure you, you are balancing. You're taking in salt and not just fluid. Uh, if you're drinking sports drink, typically it's going to have it in there already. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's an important thing to know. Um, yeah, so, so that that's what we got. Uh, oh, one more thing. I wouldn't particularly worry about – a lot of – recently you hear people talking about uh, slower-release carbohydrates and faster-release carbohydrates and the idea that you should mix them because you want some carbohydrate for later and you want it to be released later. What I've heard is that is that your body is basically going through calories at a rate much faster. Once you get deep into an ultra, that your body's going through calories at a much faster rate than you can take them in, than your stomach can possibly take them in. Um, I mean, I guess if you're taking in pure fat, maybe that's a difference. But if but if you're taking in carbohydrate, you you're burning it faster than you can get it. So eventually, you're you're close to running on empty, and putting anything in that's not for immediately for right now doesn't really make sense. It just it you get it, if you look at it kind of mathematically, you can. You can see it explained more clearly, but we don't have a way to do that here, of course. Um, but the point is, the slow, the slow release carbohydrate really doesn't serve any purpose other than if it's that's what tastes good to you right then, then go for it. But uh, if you can, if you can handle the faster release carbohydrate, i.e., sugar, uh, it's better. That's what I think. Yeah. And then my final thought is to just make sure that you're eating early and often throughout the entire race, so you're not waiting to until you're two or three hours in before you start taking your first bit of of food or nutrition. Uh, but but starting from the very beginning, um, even if it's you know 40 minutes in and you don't feel like you need anything at all, go ahead and get that in because you don't want to be playing catch up. You want to be, stay ahead of the game. Okay, good. 
All right, next one is from Oksana, who says, uh, I am already running, and the problem I have is that I have pain in my knee. That's why I'm afraid to change my diet totally, because I know that for knees, it is needed to consume cartilage. That is a statement I cannot agree with, Doug. (laughs) That for knees, it is needed to consume cartilage. If you don't consume cartilage, then your knees are done. That is false. Um, So I, I think she is, is that glucosamine that she's referring to? Maybe. Isn't that the the product that is, you know, very animal based, uh, yeah. that helps people's knees and helps joints? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So is there a substitution in plants in plant food? I don't know if there's a direct substitution for that, but there are things that that do kind of provide that that role of, of lubricating the joints, as they say. Uh, I don't know how accurate that description really is, or if it's just kind of a metaphor. But uh, omega threes are are what is said to do that. Chia seeds are a particularly high plant food in omega threes that a lot of people like to take before races, actually. And they they say that it helps to keep their joints from, from becoming stiff and painful. Uh, so I would say if there's a substitute in plants, that is what it is. Um, but I don't, I don't know that you need to look for a, a dietary solution to knee problems. I mean, that, that it's, it's almost like the, the, you know, pharmaceutical culture that we need to search for some sort of, some sort of bandaid to the issue, uh, a pill that we can take to fix it. I would instead try to address that pain in your knee, uh, you know, the way we talked to Kira about doing. So uh, that's that's my take on that one. Anything? Can we have a Doug's final thought on that one? We should have a Doug's final thought on every answer, like Jerry Springer Ooh. used to do. <laughs> on every answer? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I feel the same way. I think that I think she's uh, misguided in her assumption that she needs to eat cartilage. So. I think there that you what you, I agree with everything you said. Hey, she did say I'm not a, all a fan of meat and meat products, so I'd love to find plant substitutions. So if you're listening out there and you find yourself not liking Oksana because she sounds like meat person, she's not. She's just she's just trying to yeah, get help, she's trying she's, to figure out been, figure out her knee problems. Yes, people have she's been steered wrong. I think in the past is the problem. Yeah. Okay. Next one from Doctor Mark, uh, three time Ironman finisher and have done a few 50 mile ultras. Rich Roll has stated that he trains slow and long, and I believe that with my blood type and body type with type 1, that may make sense for me as well. Thoughts? You think type uh, 1 diabetes? Is that what you're saying? I thought he meant that he was... I Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking, you know that book, Eat Right for Your Type? The oh. blood type book? And I've heard, and Scott oh. Jurek has trashed this book, by the way, in his, uh, in his autobiography, or I guess it's his, his memoirs, I don't know. Uh, in Eat and Run, Scott Jurek's book, he he harshly criticizes this this blood type approach and says it is total uh, chicanery. Is that a word? <laughs> is that the right word? <laughs> I think it is. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, but it is a word, and it means trickery. Um. So anyway, I I I like Scott Jurek. I don't. Know, he's not a doctor, obviously, and I don't. There's not a reason to just trust anything he says. But you can only do so much research. You can you got to eventually find experts that you trust and. Once I read that from him, I was kind of like, ah, okay, I'm not really buying into that anymore. Uh, but I have not personally read the blood type or eat right for your type. I don't know much about that whole theory. Um, I don't know that Rich Roll is doing that either. I think he's rich. But de- yes, Rich Roll has definitely talked about training slowly. He used the Maffetone method. We had Phil Maffetone on our podcast a while ago. Um, and before we got into the discussion about about veganism, which which kind of took a weird a weird course, um, that was a really good episode with lots of lots of good information um, about his approach to training really really slowly for several months. And I think Maffetone for some people recommends never training hard, but certainly for like two to three months training at this where you never go above a conversational pace, you never you know go into anaerobic mode. Um, and yes, that's what Rich used with a lot of success, obviously. So I think I think that type of training it could be really sound. I don't know about your blood type and body type, but I think I think that type of training is sound. So if you have another reason to think it would be for you, then go for it. Why not? Yeah, I think it's great, especially for for base building, the base building phase, um, which clearly, I mean, he has a pretty big base. He's a three time Ironman finisher and has run fifty mile ultras. But I mean, you know, I think it's a great way to maintain your base and build your base. I don't necessarily think that it's the best way to train for a marathon or even even ultras in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but because I do think you need to to get get a higher um, heart rate zone than than the Mathetone method uh, requires. But um, but I do, you know, I think it, it works for some people and it's it has its uses. So if if you want to play around with it, I mean, 
Go for it, Dr. Mark. There you go. Doctor's orders from Dr. Doug, who's not a doctor. <laughs> who's should, not a doctor. Yeah, we, we should not say that. <laughs> okay, uh, this one is from Louisa, who says, Hi, Matt, I've been vegan first ages, but new to running and finding it tough. Oh, four ages, okay. But new to running and finding it tough. Any tips with breathing? Mm. Thanks. So we've talked about breathing a lot of times. People really want to know about breathing. Um, let's just answer really quickly. If you, I, We don't have a breathing podcast, do we? No, we don't have a breathing no. podcast. There's a, there's a breathing post on No Meat Athlete called How Should You Breathe When You Run, I think. Uh, you can look that one up. But it seems that there is no consensus on breathing. Every running coach will tell you some different little trick uh, that often are in conflict with the, with each other. Uh, it, it really seems, and Jason Fitzgerald, you know, is pretty adamant about the idea that, that it just doesn't matter that if you ask the elites how they breathe, they don't even know. They just, they just breathe what as it comes naturally to them. Uh, Doug, of course, is a big fan of, uh, Bud Coates, Bud Coates. Big, big, my yep. man, my main man, Bud Coates. Yep. Who has, who has written a good, interesting <laughs> book called running on air, uh, about this, this kind of alternative breathing method that involves he he's in through your nose out through your mouth is that right or is he doesn't care about that uh i mean the it is in through your nose out through your mouth but i think the the main part is the rhythmic breathing right right so you can explain that in a second i'll just no i think it's an interesting exercise to start running and just breathing through your nose when you're doing easy runs at first and and later as you become better at this you can keep your mouth shut even for a little bit faster paces uh is there any benefit to that? I don't know. There's a really good book that I thoroughly enjoy called Body, Mind, and Sport uh, that talks about this breathing method and, and says that it's way better because it gives you a better quality of air and all this other stuff that who knows if it's true or not. But I found it to be very meditative and interesting a uh, few months when I was running in that way. Uh, but that has nothing to do with, with the rhythmic stuff, which is which is an important thing too. So Doug, explain that, please. Well, his, his Bud Coates' theory is that uh, you can use your breath to regulate effort and regulate speed by using rhythmic breathing. So for example, if you're at a slow pace, you would maybe breathe in for four breaths or four uh, strides, paces, Mm -hmm. and out for three steps. And then uh, by doing that, you're rotating where the out breath is on, which leg the out breath is on, and you're able to kind of regulate your your effort a little bit um and and he thinks that it's linked to injuries and injury prevention so uh that's one approach but you know if she is new to running and she's thinking about breathing i i wouldn't worry that much about it i wouldn't think too much about it if you're having trouble breathing if 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 you're new to running and, and you're finding that you're just out of breath immediately then you're probably going too fast you should slow it down and and Kind of really go at that conversational pace, that much slower pace where you can breathe without much trouble, uh, and start there and build from there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that I kind of missed that she was brand new to running, so thinking about breathing is really completely unnecessary at that stage. Uh, yeah. If and like you said, if it's if it's coming up that 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 you're thinking that breathing is the issue, it's probably that you're running too fast and you should slow down. Um, yeah, I just don't. You just don't at that phase. You do not need to think about it. I, if you're gonna think about anything. I would I would just think about you know in for three out for two or something like that and just and just go with that because I mean that can help you maybe zone out and you know be be some something that settles your mind from wondering if you're breathing correctly just do that uh, and and there are there are plenty of coaches as well who you know say two in two out three in three out but this this odd number thing seems to be what people are doing now although I recently did see some research that that questioned whether or not uh, that you know this this theory that or i guess some other, some other data had sort of demonstrated that that when you breathe out you put more impact on the leg that you're that you're landing on during that beginning of that exhalation breath uh the thing i saw kind of raised some doubts about whether that was actually true so bollocks <laughs> yeah i know you and bud coats bud coats would be in big trouble he'd be out of business if that came no. out to be true my final thought is that that, that study is flawed <laughs> okay <laughs> i like it good well, we're at 45 minutes. So let's do one more and, Wait, and wrap this up. We, we only have two left. No, oh. we have three left. Oh, okay. But one, of them, one of them is about NMA triathlon kit, so we got to do that one. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, let's, we'll do these really fast. Okay. I don't want to leave anybody out. Well, not that these people even know they got put in, so, <laughs> but I don't want anybody to be left out. All right, so uh, Amanda wants to know about sprouted grain. What is the deal with sprouted grain? Is it gluten-free? Is it better for you? Does it have better macros than normal bread? Just learning how to trail run, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 
So sprouted grain is, and you can also sprout beans and other things. It's not just grains that you can sprout. Um, but when when you sprout grain, you are essentially beginning this the germination process. And what happens in that process is that the starches get converted into protein and I guess a bunch of other enzymes and things get activated. So it makes the grain become more like a vegetable, right? Because it's starting to sprouting, starting to become its own plant. Uh, so you're making it like a vegetable, which is, you know, many would argue that that makes it healthier for you. Uh, Brendan Brazier definitely would. That's where I started learning about this stuff. Um, so yes, it does increase protein. So if you consider protein better than less, you know, more protein better than less protein, then yes, better macros than normal bread. Uh, but you know, I, I would kind of question that. I don't think we really need to be thinking in that, in those terms. Uh, and I don't even, you know, wouldn't agree that more protein is necessarily better. So who knows whether the macros are better, I guess, depends on how you're, how you're looking at it, but, uh, the micros probably are better. So you do get more nutrients and enzymes and other good things. Uh, is it gluten-free? No, it is not gluten-free. I don't even know if the gluten gets reduced when, when it is sprouted. If, if gluten, the protein gluten, if that is broken down or changed in any way by the sprouting process, I do not know. Uh, but I am certain it is not gluten-free. So don't, uh, don't assume that it is. And is it better for you? I think it's probably better for you just because I think in, in general, vegetables are better than other foods, but, um, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't want to say exclusively sprouted grain is the way to go. I mean, I think eating normal grain is fine. So that's, that's what I think. Doug, any, any a final thought from Doug? Final thought is that I'm all about it. Sprouted stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it tastes, they, you know, someone, they taste good. I, th- I do think that they're better for you. Although, you know, maybe that's just in my head. Um, but yeah, why not? Why not? Right. Live it up. Sprouted bread. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, last one before the, the, uh, oh, promotional sad. question from Vincent. So this one is from Stella and says, uh, Okay, this is about foot stuff, foot injury, um, or foot burning. She used to put Vaseline on her feet. Okay, this is this question confused me. Um, so I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to say that I don't know the answer. So Stella says, when I started running longer than five miles, or longer miles about five years ago, I experienced a burning sensation in my feet after mile eight. Started to use Vaseline on them, which helped. Was recently told by a physio to change my shoes from mild pronation to neutral as I wear orthotics. So I don't, maybe that means blocking of mild pronation i don't know the the foot burning has returned and is actually more intense especially in my right foot actually lingers longer after i finish running any suggestions i have i have no suggestions because i don't know we shouldn't have put this question in because <laughs> we don't have an answer <laughs> you know my only my only thought is it sounds like it it's topical right if she's that, putting right that's, on it. so that's why i was confused i was going to suggest that maybe it was plantar fasciitis although i've never had that seems that that's more of a driving a nail in your foot pain than yeah. a burning pain. But now, now that I read the Vaseline part, you're right. It sounds like it's topical. So then well, I don't so know maybe, what, what maybe does that have to do with like she, Is it a friction? Should think, yeah, should think about uh, tying her shoes tighter. Maybe her feet are moving around too much or a new pair of socks. Yeah, so get, that... get running socks if you're not wearing actual mm-hmm. running socks that are meant to prevent blisters and friction for sure. I, I think that if it's topical, then it sounds like there's probably – an easy solution in a different pair of shoes or socks or something like that. Yeah. Or right. if you feel like your, your feet are, are dragging on the, on the road, uh, then that could be causing some friction too. But, um, yeah. Yeah. If okay. it's not topical, then I haven't a clue. Right. So, so she does wear orthotics still. A lot of people do not like orthotics. A lot of people who understand a lot about running, uh, just do not think that's a good idea. Not to say that it's not for Stella, because who knows? There, there are probably extreme cases, and there are people who, for whom maybe that's the only way they can run. Um, but, but if she just has mild pronation, then I think I think mild pronation is okay. Yeah, right. Unless you've got a strong reason for wearing those orthotics, I would I would consider not doing that, uh, and just seeing if that itself helps with the friction. Because who knows what's that what that is doing in there? Um, yeah. But yeah, running socks, and I don't. I used to put um, with blisters would put would put like a uh, roll on blister stuff on the bottom of my feet, but I never liked how it feels because my feet would then slide around too much in the shoes. Mm. No, I, I, uh, I lube up my feet real good. Oh yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. So that's Doug's final thought. He lubes up his feet real good. Oh, real good. And uh final bonus question from Vincent, Vincent Sheen. Esther calls this a bonus question. I don't know why. Uh, any word on NMA triathlon kits? Are they still in the works? Ballpark dates? They might be available. Uh, yes, funny you should ask that, Vincent. Actually, this is purely coincidence, not not a planted setup by me, but uh, I think we are going to be doing another 
So we don't actually stock the triathlon and cycling jerseys because they're really expensive. You know, they're like 70, 80 bucks to have. So it's not that practical for us to buy a hundred of them and have them in stock. Um, so we do those in pre-order ways where you, there's like a certain window where you can order them and then they make as many as, as are ordered. Uh, I think we're going to be doing one of those at the end of this month, end of April, 2016, uh, probably from like the, the, I don't know, 22nd, 23rd, maybe until who knows the end of the month. So, um, yeah, so they will be available. To, I don't know for sure that it'll be triathlon. Might be just cycling, but uh, we'll we'll see what we can do. So just pay attention to Facebook and email, and you'll you'll hear about that. All right, anything else? That's it. Congratulations on getting through another big Q and A episode. Thanks. This was a fun one, Doug. I hope you enjoy your trip. Uh, say Thank hi you. to Sid while you're out there. I will. Me. Enjoy the race. We'll be hope... eating very simply. You probably will be. With with the the man himself, he's actually calling me on Skype right this instant, interrupting oh, this thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, yes, enjoy the trip, Doug. I hope your race goes well, and uh, sounds like a, a wonderful time. So thank you. Okay, thank final you. reminder of people: uh, Health Made Simple by Sid Garza Hillman and myself uh, is our meal plan thing. It's five different meal plans. There's one for athletes. There's a minimalist one. There's the extreme minimalist, which you probably heard Sid talk about in uh, part one of our of our three-part podcast thing we did last week and there's an athlete plan there's a weight loss plan so there's there's all different plans in there uh it's something i think is going to is going to grow over the years and we are looking for a group of charter members people who will help us with feedback and all kinds of stuff so we're not looking for just dabbler types who are going to be in here and then not help out and you know want refunds because something's not perfectly right we want people who are in this for the long haul and uh want to help us make this you know even better than it is and i think i think already it's really great and i'm very very excited about it so do that. Do it before Thursday, April 21st, because that's when the price doubles when that charter member offer goes away at the end of the day on Thursday. So nomadathlete.com slash health if you want to get all the details about our meal plan that is designed to show you what to eat and how to do it really, really simply so that it doesn't take a lot of time so that you can use that time and energy for all the other great things there are to do. Doug, final thought? Final thought is... <laughs> Uh, oh geez. Oh, he's stuck. He has no final oh, thought man. for the whole episode. I, you know, I am just so happy to have this meal plan out into the world okay. and have people okay. have the opportunity to get it. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, like that. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye.